This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everybody, today's guest is Robin Wilson, lead singer of the Gin Blossoms. Robin and I break down the writing, recording, and release of their mega hit, Till I Hear It From You. We touch on the fact that the music to the song was already written and then presented to Robin to write lyrics for, and how there was immense pressure for him to deliver. We discuss how the song, which was on the soundtrack to the 1995 movie Empire Records, actually became much bigger than the movie itself. Robin talks about the challenges of writing follow-up songs after having enormous hits on a previous record. We talk about Robin stepping in as lead vocalist for The Smithereens, and also a new cartoon that he's developed called The Pop and Wheelies, which harkens back to the rock and roll cartoons from the 1970s such as The Banana Splits and The Jackson 5. And we have a first here on Krista Makes a Podcast. At the end of the episode, Robin shares something with all of us that's never happened before on the show. Very cool. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, uh, Robin, when your band uh, hit the scene, when you got signed uh, to A&M and uh, the first record, uh, New Miserable Experience came out, uh, that was 1992. I was a 19-year-old kid living in Gainesville, Florida, and uh, I just, I was too punk for school. I wasn't listening to much stuff that was on the radio, and you guys were everywhere, though. And there's one thing that's testament about you and your songs and your band is that when it what when it did come on the radio, I never turned it off. Uh, and I've really went back uh, when I found out I was going to do this episode with you. Went back and and uh, discovered your catalog. Just amazing pop songs. I, that's why I love doing this podcast because I'm able to uh, as a hate using this word as an adult, <laughs> go back and, and, and look at stuff that I, that I may have missed. Cause I was, uh, this, uh, young kid that, uh, didn't have, didn't have so much of an open mind. So I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. And the song you picked, uh, I was telling my producer, uh, as you know, Chris Favalios, I was telling him that uh, yesterday I was shopping, uh, here at a, at a market called food city for some groceries. And I'm not kidding you. I walked in until I hear it from you was on the, uh, on the PA in the grocery right. store. <laughs> Great, great. I, I hear that all the t people, you know, I get text messages from people. Hey, I'm at Home Depot. Your song is playing or whatever. And uh, it's so uh, cool, though, man. It's so it, and it was it was just such a uh, a moment for me. I was just smile for me. I got to smile ear to ear right now talking about it. it's very cool. So yeah, I just let the cat out of the bag. Robin uh, picked Till I Hear It From You, which was from the uh, Empire Records soundtrack. Empire Records was a movie that came out in 1995. So set this one up a little bit. I know that uh, it was co-written uh, uh, with Marshall Crenshaw, which is amazing. So take us back to uh, 95 or so when, when, when this was written. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, your producer, Chris Fafalios, uh, chose, chose the song, um, which is fine with me. I, I, I might have picked this one, too, because it's a, it's a pretty decent story. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, so we were coming off of uh, touring for a New Miserable Experience, which we, we toured on that record for almost three years. So the record came out in October 92, and we were pretty much on the road 
from then until like the beginning of 1995, you know, it was pretty much nonstop and uh, we were just touring and touring and touring. And, you know, then you get to that point where you have to follow up your multi-platinum debut and there's there's really no more pressure you can put on a on an artist uh than to have to do that and uh so you know we were thinking about our second record and uh, realizing the immense pressure we were under and uh so somewhere around it must have been around christmas time in 94 or early 95 the label our label a&m records uh came to us and said that they were going to be releasing the soundtrack for some movie the next summer and that we were going to have the lead single on this soundtrack. And so we didn't quite understand the scope of of whether or not, you know, how big the movie was going to be or how big the soundtrack would, would be. But we knew that our label was counting on us to, to turn in a, a hit. So, you know, there was some, uh, you know, once again, you're, you're in this position where you're under a lot of pressure. And, you know, with New Miserable Experience, a lot of those songs were written by our, our original guitar player, Doug Hopkins. And so we were going into the, everything after that without him and without his songwriting. And so the, the pressure was all on myself and Jesse Valenzuela to, to step up and, uh, you know, deliver the goods. So right around the time that I heard, it must have been January 95, uh, that I heard we were going to ha- have this single on a soundtrack record. It was soon after that that Jesse came to me and said, well, I co-wrote this song with Marshall Crenshaw, and we want you to finish the lyrics. And Jesse, he has a way, he always plays everything so cool. You know, if I had co-written a song with Marshall Crenshaw, I would have been, I would have been jumping up and down and telling everybody, <laughs> you know, I would, I, it's, I'm the kind of person where I have to, I have to share what I'm excited about. But Jesse's just so cool, so laid back. He's like, yeah, I wrote this song with Marshall Crenshaw, you know, just like, you dick, you know. <laughs> well, and, 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 and for the listeners, Jesse uh, Valenzuela is the guitarist in the Gin Blossoms. And, you know, you guys delivered with this song because, you know, Empire Records is kind of a footnote in 90s movies. This song totally eclipsed what that movie was. It, yeah, it did. It did. Uh, and, you know, the, the movie has, has certainly uh, grown in its status uh, since its release, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, the song of song became a big deal. You know, it was. Um, let me see what what happened next. Okay, so Jesse kind of casually says, "Oh, I wrote this song with Marshall. We need you to finish the lyrics." And so I get the demo, and it's uh, it's Jesse singing ba da 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 ba da 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 da. You know, there's no words. It's just a vocal melody. And then there's, uh, there's the chorus. He's got the chorus. I don't want to take advice from fools. And so I, I had the demo, and I had a little uh, ADAT set up at my home, and so I got it loaded into there and started listening to it. And I, I remember thinking, you know, well, the label's waiting for the song, and Jesse and Marshall have done their part, and it's, it's just it's up to me not to fuck this up. <laughs> Uh, that's what I remember thinking that really clearly, like 
just don't fuck it up. You know, you you gotta you gotta rise to the occasion. Well, when you when when you say that, Robin, did you know? Like, did could you hear that there was something here? In order to have that pressure, you must have been like, man, there's something here. I have to deliver now on the lyrical end. Oh yeah, it was it was a really solid melody, and it was yeah. a really solid chorus, and. I knew there were there were no excuses. Uh, you know, there were there were gonna be no excuses. I I had to write some good lyrics. So I got to work, you know, and I, and I focused. And my my approach when I'm collaborating with somebody else like this, uh, if there's a title for the song, I work backwards. You know, so I I had to write lyrics that led you up to that moment where you hear till I hear it from you. That's really interesting. So that was already there and you're you're building around that now. Absolutely. So wow. uh, like I say I had to work backwards and write the story that culminates in in that chorus. I don't want to take advice from fools. And so I thought what I'm hearing here is a, a song about a relationship where a guy is hearing rumors about uh, his girlfriend. Uh, so I I took that as like what that's what the story is about, and he's this dude. He's hearing the lyric. He's hearing the, uh, these rumors, but you know he doesn't necessarily want to believe it, and he you know he wants to trust that uh, you know his relationship isn't bullshit. Uh, but at the same time, there's you know peer pressure, and you've got you know people gossiping and stuff, and so. I just kind of focused on that concept. That's what the song is about. So was this was this purely a story at this point that you were creating around the lyric, or, or did you pull from any personal experiences uh, within this to, to to write it? Well, I, no, no, I can't say that there were specifically any personal experiences. It was uh, it was more a matter of just trying to, you know, uh, paint the picture and fill in fill in the blanks and be a storyteller. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I just I focused on that. And I just thought about it when when I'm writing lyrics like that, sometimes it's, it takes hours to just finally get one or two words to come out. And I don't I can't recall exactly how long it took me probably a couple of days of listening to the track before I finally just jumped in and uh, and started with the first verse. You know, I didn't ask. They shouldn't have told me. You know, uh, again, I was just thinking about, you know, uh, imagining a scene at, at the bar or you're hanging out with your friends doing bongs and, you know, they're, <laughs> they're telling you these, these rumors, you know. And so I just kind of, I just started from there. I didn't ask. They shouldn't have told me. didn't ask they shouldn't have told me at first i'd laugh but now it's sinking in fast whatever they've sold me but baby and then we'll get into the chorus in a moment so that 
pretty much sets, you know, sets up that chorus really well. Yeah, I think I nailed it. You know, <laughs> I was, uh, I, once I got, once I started going, I, I was like, okay, I think I'm onto something here. Was the initial demo uh, that you heard, was that pretty much the arrangement and, and what the track ended up being? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, like okay. they had the, it, it was a very basic demo. I think it was just acoustic guitars and Jesse's, Jesse's voice. Um, I don't think we had the that arpeggiated riff yet. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was just the basic chords, and uh, Jesse going ba da 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 ba da 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 da, and um, I just knew I had to not fuck it up. And uh, so once <laughs> once I got started, I realized that it was gonna work, you know, and that I just needed to stay on that track and. F- finish, f- write another verse, you know, um, and just keep going from there. And, uh, well, I, I gotta, yeah. I gotta say, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, and I marvel at songwriters, lyricists that are storytellers, that they're able to create some story that, not necessarily through their their firsthand experiences. Um, I can't really do that lyrically. My lyrics, if I try that, they, they end up being very verbatim. Like I walked to the store and I did this and it just <laughs> sounds right. really, it sounds really contrived. It's such an art form sure. that I don't know if the listeners truly, I appreciate it so much. And in and, and doing this podcast, I'm really breaking down lyrics and it, I'm just fascinated by someone telling me, oh, this is just a story that I wrote. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Well, uh, well, thank you. You know, I, I, it's not normally the way I work. I'm, I come from the, as a lyricist, I have more in common with someone like Rick Ocasek, who just writes a bunch of crazy gibberish, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. sets, but it sets a mood. Yeah, it's awesome and it's sexy and you can feel what he's trying to make you feel and you get it. And that that's generally how I uh, have often worked and certainly in those days as a as a less experienced songwriter that was more my style was just to kind of write somewhat of psychedelic gibberish but you know in in the back of my mind i'm trying to set a mood and maybe there is a story there but you know like you were saying i don't want to i don't want it to be as literal i want it to be more about like what i was thinking and feeling while that story was taking place as opposed to just a, a blow by blow play-by-play spilling out of (laughs) what the situation is is going on or what I'm what I'm seeing that's a great description that's how I feel about my lyrics sometimes I feel it's a blow-by-blow play-by-play when I want it to be a little more uh, uh, for lack of a better word abstract where people could take whatever away from it. it's not completely literal Right. And, you know, abstract is actually the perfect word. And uh, that's that's generally how I work. And I do I've I still do that. You know, uh, songs that I write uh, in in recent years, I know what I'm saying, but I don't necessarily want everybody else to know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a fine line there too between being abstract and being Lou Reed, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you don't, you don't know what the hell they're talking about, right? Uh, you know, and that's okay too. There's no rules uh, sure. as lo- as long as you feel something, you know, when it comes to to the lyrics, you know. And again, uh, Rick Ocasek would be a great example of a master at that, you know. I mean, his lyrics, if you if you really look at them, they make very, very little sense. And uh, a lot of them... But you feel them, like, like you said. But 
Yeah, you you really feel it. Uh, Michael Stipe is an, is another uh, lyricist who's really uh, good at that. You know, you you really can uh, you have this empathy for what he's what he's feeling, and you you feel it too. And uh, uh, you know, a lot of it makes no sense, but damn, if it doesn't make you f- feel something very deep, you know. That's that's a great analogy. Do you remember if this first verse, was it ever the second verse or was this always the first lyric here? That was the first lyric I wrote. It came right out. That was the first thing I put down, uh, you know, pencil to paper. Uh, you know, I usually, if I've got a demo like that one, or if I, I, I still use this method where I listen to my own demos and words will pop into my head as I'm listening. And yeah, I didn't ask. They shouldn't have told me. That was that was the first thing that, that came out. And uh, when I got to the, when I had to uh, rhyme something with uh, they shouldn't have told me, and I got to, you know, whatever they've sold me, I'm like, damn, this is, this is co- coming out pretty good. You know, this is, this is painting the right picture. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, completing the thought that Jesse and Marshall had put down. You know? Well, and everyone can relate. I didn't ask. They, sh- they, they shouldn't have told me. You know, you're out having a couple of drinks. You're just sitting there. You're enjoying the night. And all of a sudden, someone gets a few too many tequilas in and they whisper in your Hey man, your 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 girl's messing around on you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and most everybody could relate to something like that. So, um, we we get into the first uh, chorus, and I love how this song builds because from the first chorus uh, to the second to the third, um, the last line until I hear it from you, it only happens once in, in this first chorus. The lyric is, I don't want to take advice from fools. I'll just figure everything is cool until I hear it from you. Um, and then there's the uh, call and response backing vocal of, of hear it from you. Was this lyric completely done uh, with with uh, Jesse and Marshall? Jesse had the lyric and he had written a, an initial version of the song. And then once Marshall got involved, Marshall... I believe, like, changed the chorus. Like, I think Jesse had the, like, the opening line of the of the chorus, I don't want to take advice from fools. I figure everything is cool. And Jesse loves to use the word cool in his songs. He, he's got a <laughs> bunch of songs. I, and I, I do, t- I have the same kind of default words that I, I tend to go with. I'm always singing about light for some reason. But uh, Jesse likes to say the word cool and... Uh, so I'm sure that was his lyric, but then Marshall was the one who who like dropped in the melody, and probably that that answer in the background vocal. I'm pretty sure that was Marshall's uh, contribution. Yeah, that background vocal is so great, and it, and it and it is a call and response. I guess you would call it a background vocal, but it's darn near as loud as the lead vocal. Which is, sure. but it's awesome, you know, and it really, it really drives that part and ma- makes that part uh, what it is. Um, yeah. The the second verse. It gets hard. The memories faded. Who gets what they say? It's likely they're just jealous and jaded. 
It gets hard. The memories faded. Who gets what they say? It's likely they're just jealous and jaded or maybe. And then it goes into the second chorus. So uh, talk talk a little bit about this verse. Do you remember writing this specific uh, part? Well, um, I can't remember if, if I wrote all the lyrics in one day or if it took me like a, a few days. I think that I, I pretty much wrote like most of it in one day and then I didn't get get around to the bridge or the or the third verse so again you know I was just trying to uh, you know continue on with the story this guy's trying to uh, ignore uh, these rumors he's hearing and so you know what is he what is he feeling you know and so I you know I just tried to focus on that what is this dude thinking what is he feeling and well it you know gets hard the memories faded um, you know who gets what they say, you know, uh, it's, it's not quite as concise as, as the first verse, but it's what that guy was feeling and trying to debate in his own head whether or not to take these rumors seriously. Well, I love to deconstruct other people's lyrics and analyze them. And looking at the first verse, uh, told me, sold me, and then at the end you have baby. Well, in the second verse, it's yeah. But Jesse, let me. Je, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, Jesse, no Jesse had baby and maybe in there. Um, that okay. was like so. It was but maybe I don't want it. That was Jesse's demo. Okay, uh, but actually it was baby. It was always baby uh-huh. uh, on all three choruses on that demo. Oh, it was okay. Baby, so- and I'm like, you know, baby. I don't know about baby, and so um, you know, I changed it to maybe, and then I, I threw in one baby. Because uh, I didn't, I didn't want it to say, you know, I like there to be some, uh, some variation in yeah. the pre-choruses or whatever, you know. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of pre-choruses, you know. I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, Def Leppard, I think they're the master of the pre-chorus, you know. They, oh uh, yeah, their pre-choruses are almost better than the choruses. Yeah, they're incredible. <laughs> in a song like Photograph, it actually has two pre-choruses, you know. Yeah. It just, just keeps building and building. I've always been a fan of that, and uh, you know, I I like it when the when the pre-chorus has some variation in the lyric that it's not just repeating the exact you know same thing or whatever. So I'm a fan um, of that as well. Yeah. So you know, Jesse had baby in the in the um, in the demo uh, before every chorus. You know, like I say, it was just da 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 da. But baby, I don't wanna you know and. I'm like, okay, so he's a baby, you know. <laughs> All right, well, I, you know, it, I'm I'm not the the biggest fan of of singing baby, you know. It's a little uh, little corny for my taste, but it, you know, it works sometimes. And uh, you know, another thing I'm not a fan of is uh, like when songwriters uh, go la 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 or na 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 na, you know. I'm just like, come on, it's so fucking lazy to you know just sing na 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 or fa la la. And you know, I've I've 
I've, I've never really liked doing that. So Journey made a career out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of people do it. And sure, yeah. there's, there's plenty of good songs that have fa-la-las in it. But, uh, but I know, you know what you mean. Couldn't, couldn't you have come up with some lyrical content? You know, yeah, ex- exactly. There was a there was a song on our our last record. Our bass player Bill uh, wrote this fantastic song called uh, "Mega Pond King," and he had me singing "Fa La La's" uh, on the outro. And uh, I just I, I couldn't go for it. I'm like Bill, let's you know, let's write some lyrics for this, you know. And I wrote something just so I had like a placeholder instead of just "Fa La La's." And Bill waved me off, and he said. I'll do it. I'll write it. You know, he he didn't want me to contribute a single lyric to his song. Uh, He wanted to be entirely responsible for it. And uh, boy, did he step up. I mean, Bill wrote these amazing lyrics for the outro uh, of his song. And it was a really powerful moment for the record. And I felt like it was it was one of those great moments where, you know, we were pushing each other and we made it better and uh, so on the on the album cover on the internal package i i took a photograph of bill's handwritten lyrics for that outro and i included it in the uh in the packaging because again i I felt it represented you know a a really great moment for the band Anyway, that 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 sidetracks us from what we were we were talking about. Um, oh no, that was but, that was a great aside. I was it was, it was, yeah. it was very interesting. I you know for the listeners, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast before. But we as songwriters will talk about uh, in verses or choruses. It's uh, it's the one and three or it's the two and four. And what that refers to is is the first, second, third, and fourth uh, or, or more lines in a verse. And well, again, Robin, when I was looking at this, I noticed the first one uh, uh, told me was on the one, sold me was on the three, and then baby was on the four. Well, in, in verse two, it was faded on the one, jaded on the three, and maybe rhyming with baby on, on the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to, just to be able to look at that and, and be like, Oh, cool! He rhymed the same uh, words with with, with uh, the other lines. was was really neat. Getting into chorus two, it's the same as chorus one, but we repeat until I hear it from you with the with the with the uh, calm response. Hear it from you. That happens twice in this chorus. Again, that was uh, from what you remember. Always like that. I'm not entirely sure if that was built into Jesse's original demo. It probably was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 good songcraft, you know, to have. Uh, have the chorus extend a little bit the second time around or for it to have a, like a B section mm-hmm. or something like that where it, it just takes the chorus somewhere else. Maybe I don't want to take advice from fools I just think everything is cool Until I hear it from you Until I Yeah, and then th- I wouldn't I wouldn't consider this a post chorus, but yeah, it's a it's a little bit you get a little more meat on the bone than the first one. Yeah, I th- I I'm pretty sure that was that was probably in there in uh, Jesse's uh, uh, initial demo. Yeah. Well, what I love about this song, you know, it's a it's a little pop gem. It's three minutes and twenty seconds, but upon listening to it and and really getting in, into it, I noticed the bridge seems like it happens really fast. Second chorus, and then all of a sudden you're in this breath of fresh air. 
can't let it get me off or break up my train of thought. As far as I know, nothing's wrong until I hear it from you. So you're still getting that chorus lyric uh, in the bridge. And then from there, it goes into uh, the guitar lick, kind of a little solo thing, but it's mimicking the chorus melody, which is really cool uh, before we get to verse three. So let's talk about that bridge a little bit. I can't let it get me off or break up my train of thought. As far as I know, nothing's wrong until I hear it from you. In the context of the story, this guy's just trying to uh, deal with this with these rumors that he's hearing, and he's just trying to you know put it behind him. And you know everything you know he's he's saying he doesn't want to trust these rumors until he hears it from his girlfriend. And so you know I wanted the lyrics of the of the bridge to relate to that sentiment that it was. Uh, you know, he's, he's got this information, but he, he wants to, he wants to hear it from whoever he's singing to and whoever he's involved in this relationship with. So, uh, you know, he's just trying to put it, put it aside. I don't, you know, I won't let it get me off, you know? Um, and you know, I guess what I really mean by that is, you know, I won't let it piss me off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I won't, I, I won't take it to heart. Um, you know, that's pretty much, uh, you know, what the guy's thinking at that, at that moment. And I, I can't say for sure. My feeling is that uh, till I hear it from you was not at the end of the bridge on Jesse's demo. I think it was something that I simply refrained and it, I could be wrong about that. Jesse might've had it in the demo, but either way, it felt natural for me to, lead up to that with, uh, you know, I won't let it get me off or break up my train of thought. As far as I know, nothing's wrong until I hear it from you, until I know for certain what you're thinking. You know? Well, I love it so. because, you know, I was talking a moment ago about the post-chorus. The post-chorus is some of my favorite things in a song when it's just, it's a, a continuation of the chorus. Well, this is a bridge, it's a d- departure, but you still get that refrain of until I hear it from you. And it kind of ties it back together before we get uh, to that little guitar lick. Um, and then it comes to a third verse, which is warranted. And I think it's warranted lyrically, especially what you're saying here, still thinking about not living without it. So you're kind of coming to grips, I think, with this verse of what's going on here. So, you know, I'm just so it's it's in it's in this, this guy's head. And as as much as he, he doesn't want to be thinking about it. Uh, he's just kind of stuck with this. Uh, it says outside looking in till we're talking about not stepping around it, maybe. And yeah. then, then another chorus. Right. So Jesse, actually, I had written something else and Jesse came up with outside looking in. And that was his one lyrical contribution to the verses. Um, he obviously had... He had that lyric, and I remember him calling me and saying, "Hey, can we change this line to outside looking in? It's you know, it's it's just such a classic uh, sentiment." You know, and I'm like, yeah, that works. Okay, sure. You know, I wasn't uh, so anal that I, I, I didn't want him to contribute to to, to those lyrics or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, confident enough, and you know, uh, to you know, step aside and admit when somebody else makes a really significant contribution to my 
my portion of the song or whatever. So uh, Jesse came up with Outside Looking In, and that's one of the signature lines of the song. And it's one of the more memorable moments uh, in the song. And eventually, when Universal put out a greatest hits package for Jim Blossoms, they called it Outside Looking In for good reason, because that's a, that's a really powerful moment yeah. uh, in, in the song. And so that translates into being one of the more powerful moments in our entire body of work. So. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more coming up with Robin Wilson after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one-hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog, and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Match. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. You can trust me not to think and not to sleep And now, back to the show. Well, I got to say, I got to commend you on your memory. Uh, you you remind me of myself. I can remember where I was at. Uh, I could smell uh, uh, spaghetti on the stove when I wrote this lyric. The guys in my band were like, you're crazy. <laughs> and your recall is, you know, we're going back a quarter century here, Robin. I'm, in, I'm yeah. impressed. I'm impressed, you know. Well, and that, thanks. It, no, it's, it, it's awesome that you remember that. And it's really, it's really cool because I can, I can relate to that. Um, getting into chorus three, now you're saying until I hear it from you uh, four times here. So it's repeated mm -hmm. even two more times 
then the second chorus, and then we go into uh, the the fade out, the re- the refrain. It's uh, going to carry on. You, oh no, it's going to carry on till I hear it from you. Won't take advice from fools. Figure everything is cool till I hear it from you. I don't want to take advice from fools. I'll just figure everything is cool until I hear it from you. What I love about this fade out is the song doesn't just end on some major chord and like, okay, that's the end. Well, no, it, it, it's kind of leaves you hanging because you haven't heard it from her yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, this whole that's, thing, that's is what I took place. from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, you know, all of the, the whole song is taking place inside this guy's head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not being acted out and it's not, uh, a live conversation that he's having with people he's he's working this out on his own and so yeah that's why it it, it stays somewhat unresolved in terms well yeah of, and, and and sometimes the fade out doesn't work and i think it was it was the perfect call for this song do you remember was that i know uh, john hampton produced the track was was the fade out something that uh, jesse and marshall thought of or you thought of or was this something in the studio that just happened do you remember i don't remember but um we tend to not overthink things and uh you know i would i would imagine it was probably John saying, well, why don't we just fade this? And everybody just kind of shrugging and going, yeah, that'll work. Um, you know, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so, uh, of course, you know. It, yeah, well, I wouldn't, that's one thing I wouldn't imagine you going, yeah, we, we really put a lot of time to think about this fade out. I wasn't getting at it like that. I was, But it, it, it makes sense for me looking at this on the, from the outside to go, yeah, this song had to fade out. It, it can't resolve. Because you haven't yeah. heard, you haven't heard from her yet. <laughs> yeah, it makes, it makes sense, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, as far as that aspect of the arrangement yeah it lends itself to the uh, to the narrative one one other thing I'd, I'd like to touch on ab- about this is something that really struck me was the empire uh, records the movie the soundtrack uh was a re- uh, initially on warner brothers ended up being on uh over to a&m which was your label was there a reason because labels just they were always a hit, especially a, a hit of this magnitude. They'd always thrown on the next album coming out and the next record was 1996. Uh, uh, congratulations. I'm sorry. Uh, and it was left off the record. Was, was there a reason why, uh, till I hear it from you was left off the, off the album? I can't remember exactly why, but I, th- I'm pretty sure we had it in our heads that we had, we needed to make a record that stood up 
to New Miserable Experience and, and was, you a, did. was a self <laughs> was a self-contained album. And with the perspective of time, it was a, it was a big mistake not to include until I hear it from you on Congratulations, I'm Sorry. But the European version of Congratulations, I'm Sorry mm-hmm. did include uh, Till I Hear It From You. We, For whatever reason, uh, overseas, we said, yeah, let's put it on the record over there. But I don't know. I'm not exactly sure uh, why we were allowed to not include it on uh, Congratulations, I'm Sorry. You would have thought you wanted a slam dunk, and certainly you could have maybe gotten a few more sales out of it, but uh, you guys didn't end up hurting too bad. You had a, as long as it matters, and follow you down on that record, so uh, yeah. it, it, it all worked out. <laughs> it, it did. Uh, you know, uh, let, me, let me touch on that for a second. Follow You Down was probably uh, what I consider our biggest success as a band as a creative force and the reason was we you know again we were under just tremendous pressure to follow up new miserable experience uh, with a hit and there's really no more pressure you can put on a a young band Uh, you know you've got a multi-platinum debut record you had your whole lives to write those songs you know they've been worked in the clubs for years and years and now you've got to start from zero and come up with something that can hold up to that. And so uh, we're under just tremendous pressure. And we've, we went to Memphis. We recorded Congratulations, I'm Sorry. We got done. We thought we were done. And then the label said, no, we need another hit. Uh, we, we, and they were very clear, we need a hit. And we knew As Long As It Matters was a really strong candidate for a, for a hit single. But... The label was was unequivocal. You need to go write a hit. And so that was really the moment where we were under more pressure sure. than at any other stage of our career uh, before or since. And um, so we, you know, we had to, it was, it was terrifying, you know, go write a hit, you know, go, go live up to your debut. Because you weren't you weren't trying to write hits then; those were just songs that you wrote. <laughs> well, <laughs> that became yeah. hits. Yeah, we, I mean, we weren't like yeah. It's not like uh, you know we're we're not like Todd Rundgren or Elton John or whatever. Where it's like you know go write a hit. We were just trying to be you know we do things in an organic fashion. And, yeah. You know, all of our heroes were bands like uh, you know the Replacements or whatever. You know, so we we weren't thinking in terms of hits. We were just. Uh, thinking in terms Great of songs. trying trying to hold up to what inspired us, you know? And uh, so anyway, we, we I remember we got home uh, from Memphis. Uh, we thought the record was in the can. They said, go write a hit. It was terrifying. And all of a sudden, um, like, uh, I think it was Bill, our bass player, called and said, hey, uh, Jesse and I wrote this chorus. Uh, I'm going to send you the demo and you need to write the you need to write the lyrics. You need to write the verses, and uh, so he sent me the tape, and it was uh, it was a recording of uh, of "Follow You Down." That's awesome. And so they had the chorus, but they didn't have a vocal melody or anything. Uh, they had the chords for the verses, but they didn't give me a vocal melody. They just gave me the, the, the chords. 
and uh, and then the the chorus was fully flushed out. And so once again, I found myself in that position. Okay, I got to work backwards and not fuck this up. You know, <laughs> Deja it's, vu. It's a, it's a real, real <laughs> solid chorus here. Follow you down is a real solid chorus. Okay, you know, get get to work. What is the story? And, Don't screw it up, you know, Robin. Just uh, you know, start start working backwards. You know, um, so you know it, it, those those two songs are you know represent a really a great time in uh, in the history of our band where we were you know at a at a creative high point and we were facing down all of the pressure uh, that could be lobbed on us by you know a multi billion dollar record label you know yeah i could couldn't even imagine <laughs> it's definitely definitely a lot of pressure and uh, yeah. and and and, and fing- fingers crossed maybe we can have you back sometime and talk about follow you down i'd be honored Sure, sure, sure. That'd be well, awesome. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things I, I definitely want to get into, though, is uh, when we released "Till I Hear It From You." That was that was all. It was pretty intense because the song was written, uh, I believe, sometime around March of 1995, mm-hmm. and then we recorded it in April, and then we made the video at like in in May. And then by June, the song was was on the radio, and I. That's incredibly quick. It, it, you know, it's like the, it, I remember realizing, holy crap! The whole might of the music industry is like behind this song, you know, uh, to just and it was. It's like the old school. Uh, record industry of the 60s or something you know like where the the beatles would you know uh write rubber soul and then just a few months later the label's like okay go make revolver you know um (laughs) which is which is unreal by today's standards you know you release a record every two years every three years right right and so uh you know to me that just seeing the machinery of the music industry, you know, like in support of what we were doing and for us to have, you know, given them the right song or at least an adequate uh, song uh, f- for it to just get shoved into this, uh, you know, like assembly line or whatever. And pow, there it is on television. And, you know, I, my friends are calling me and they're like, hey, did you get to meet Liv Tyler? And I'm like, like, what no. are you talking about? <laughs> it was like, no, I, she wasn't there when we were making the video, you know. <laughs> of course, but, Liv was in the was in the movie uh, Empire Records. And yeah. yeah, people would always assume that when, when, when Les and Jake was on the soundtrack, did, did you meet so-and-so? It's like, no, we recorded the song 3,000 miles away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I also remember that when, when I was working on the on the the demo when I was writing lyrics, I again I, I had transferred it onto an ADAT, and then I recorded my vocals and my lyrics onto uh, onto the song. And I had I had a visit from some of my old high school buddies right around that time. They were dudes that I had sort of lost touch with, um, hadn't been able to see much. And since I had been on the road for the previous three 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 to four years, you know, I hadn't been around a lot. But all of a sudden now, you know, I was making money for the first time in my life. So I bought a house and, um, you know, I had this room full of toys and action figures. And that's where I have my studio and stuff. And so 
this group of my high school buddies uh, came over because they're like, I want to see the rock star's house. You know, I want to, you know, you're the, you're the only one of us that owns a house. You know, you're the only, only guy in our high school class that, you know, is, is, uh, you know, buying homes and stuff. So I, we want to come over and see what the hell you got going, you know, big pimping and all that. And, uh, so my buddies came over and I played them the demo for, for, for that song with my, with my lyrics. And, it was probably about a year later. We were in Germany, and one of those guys was living in Germany. And I was out to, to dinner with him, and he's like, uh, you know, it's so funny how um, you played us that demo, and then just a few months later it was on the radio, and I remember hearing that lyric, Jealous and Jaded, in your bedroom, and then just a few months later there it is, and it's on the radio. And I'm like, yeah, it's a weird fucking world. That know? is so, that is, that is so, that's so cool. That's so awesome, man. And you got your yeah. accolades from your friends always feels good. Um, sure. Robin, I'd like to uh, touch on a couple more things here uh, that you have going on. Uh, fascinated to know that you have a cartoon that you're developing and shopping. It's called Poppin' Wheelies. Can you can you tell the listeners what that's about? Sure, sure. It's something I've been working on for a long time. You know, it's inspired by uh, the cartoons of the '70s that I used to watch. Uh, the Poppin' Wheelies. It's a it's about a rock band in outer space, um, and it's <laughs> so it's it's essentially Scooby Doo meets spinal tap uh in outer space you know that sounds awesome. so it's it uh, you know I've, i'm a lifelong fan of animation and science fiction and so uh you know and i'm a child of the, of the 60s and 70s and you know I, it, back in those days there was so much rock and roll on saturday mornings you know stuff you know like josie and the pussycats and the groovy ghoulies and the banana splits and uh, you know the osmonds and the jackson five both had cartoons and captain cool and the kongs and it was just there was so much rock and roll on Saturday morning TV. And, you know, it was a long time ago. It was, it was back in the 90s. I was having a conversation with someone, and we were going down memory lane talking about all these Saturday morning cartoons. And I remember I, I said to, to whoever I was talking to, I'm like, well, somebody ought to do this again, you know? And then I thought, well, why don't I do it? Yeah. You know, and... Uh, I'm like, this is a good idea. I should really, you know, get on this. And so I'm like, okay, well, I need to come up with a name for this cartoon rock band. I want, I want a cartoon rock band in space. It didn't take me long to land on that. And then I, you know, I wanted something that reminded me, I wanted a name that reminded me of being a kid, you know, and had some sense of action to it. And also the name needed to sort of pop in the same way that the banana splits sort yeah. of pops and you know and it's it, there's sort of a dual meaning to the banana splits you know it's it's, it's got uh, different sort of layers to the to the actual words and so i'm like what okay okay i want to i want something that makes me feel like a kid and uh the pop and wheelies and i just it just came out it was so it was so organic and so easy and it was just a great moment of I inspiration so um you know, the characters are loosely based on myself and my friends and, uh, you know, guys that I played in bands with. Like the, the lead guitar player of the Pop and Wheelies, his name is Otis, and he's based, uh, at least physically, on Doug Hopkins of Jim Blossoms. And Doug, Doug's nickname was Otis, so that's how I ended <laughs> up uh, naming the character Otis. And, you know, I when I hired a comic book artist named Alejandro Garza. 
who was very well-renowned. When I hired Ollie to do the artwork, I sent him photographs of Doug Hopkins. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is what I'm shooting for. And uh, the drummer of the Pop and Wheelies, his name is Danny, and he's based on my friend Dan, who I was uh, in a group called Gas Giants with, with Dan. He was my partner, and Dan and I used to work together at Tower Records back in the 80s, and we always wanted to start a band together. And it, for a while, Dan was, he played drums in Jim Blossoms for about four months, uh, but he didn't want to be a drummer, so he, he quit the band and moved away. But anyway, so, you know, uh, it's just loosely based on me and my friends, and uh, right now I'm working with one of the biggest animation houses on planet Earth. Uh, I won't tell you who they are, but they have uh, several hit shows that are out there on uh, major networks and uh, streaming services and stuff. So, uh, you know, I've got one of the top animation houses on the planet. They're all in, and uh, starting... Right, right now we're building a, a private website. It's going to be a password-only website for the pop, pop and Wheelies. And I've already recorded the soundtrack record, or at least enough music for the first season. Oh, that's um, great. And, you know, that's a big part of the pitch. It's, it's really important to me that there be a, an original song and music video sequence in every episode of the show. And it's going to be packed full of science fiction Easter eggs. You know, I, I, I've been a big fan of science fiction my whole life. And so I want, you know, people, to, people like me, uh, you know, nerds, to see the show and go, holy crap, that's that's an O'Neill cylinder, or you know, that's a that's a <laughs> ring world, you know, or you know, look at that ship; it looks just like uh, you know the the Nostromo from Alien or whatever, you know. Um, so it it needs to be funny. The show needs to be funny, and it and it needs to always be about a band in a van trying to get to the gig. That's the the basic premise of the thing, and. They're in these crazy science fiction environments, and there's uh, kaiju and haunted houses and all that kind of Scooby-Doo stuff. Uh, you know, I'm going to reference classic animation like Johnny Quest and uh, Ralph Bakshi, and I just want to jam it full of everything that I love. And, uh, you know, God help me, it'll be on... Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be pitching it next month, and uh, my fingers are crossed that... Uh, you know, somebody like Netflix or HBO is going to pick it up. So. Well, I wish you nothing but the best with that and all the Thank success you. with that. It sounds really cool. I'll definitely be checking it out again. That's called The Pop and Wheelies. Be on the lookout for that. Now, just real quick, Robin, I want to touch on two more quick things. Uh, I want to talk about uh, you've been singing for the Smithereens for the past few years. I saw the Smithereens back in Gainesville at the uh, University of Florida uh, band shell back in 1992 and uh, love love the Smith Smithereens. They're uh, lead singer and guitarist uh, Pat Denizio passed away uh, a few years ago and uh, you've been singing for them and I, I want to say I read that that Marshall was singing with them for a moment is that how it came about for you to get the gig well actually you know Marshall and I both uh, have been doing shows with him Marshall uh, did a lot more shows than I have over the last few years because my uh, my uh, the Jim Blossoms uh, keep getting in the way of my of my side project in the smithereens. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I wasn't as, of, 
as available as Marshall was for uh, for the shows. So Marshall's probably done about 60% of the Smithereens gigs over the last few years. And then I would do uh, I would do them when I could. And uh, so I've, I've probably done 30 shows with them now um, over the last few years. And I'm, I've... I'm not technically like a full member of the band, but I, I'm acting like it. And I'm, you know, I'm writing lyrics. I'm writing songs with Jim Babjack, the lead guitar player. And uh, Jim is a, is a really fantastic songwriter. And you know, apparently, you know, Pat Denisio, much like Doug Hopkins, didn't really like doing other people's songs. And so Jim has like this sort of backlog of ideas. And everything he's played for me sounds great. And it's definitely stuff that I can can work with, and so cool. I'm I'm applying all of my skills as a lyricist and a frontman, and uh, you know, uh, really enjoying being a part of the Smithereens. Always one of my favorite bands, and I had met Pat Denisio several times, but I I didn't know the other guys until there was a tribute concert for Pat Denisio a few months after he passed away, and I was invited to come and do a couple songs and. I showed up and somebody else couldn't make it. And I got this call from the Smithereens. They're like, can you do Behind the Wall of Sleep? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that song. They called back again like 20 minutes later and they're like, well, can you do uh, Blood and Roses? And I'm like, you're goddamn right I can do Blood and Roses. And so <laughs> I ended up singing, you know, a lot more than they than anybody had planned on. And it just felt great. It was awesome. And at the end of the night, you know, I'd hit it off with the band and I went into their dressing room to say goodnight. And I, I just said, guys, you know, I would love to do some more shows with you. And I remember this sort of shocked look on everybody's face like they hadn't, considered that you know they hadn't thought of you know even asking or they weren't even thinking what's the next step for us or whatever well can i say something too that i think is really cool robin is that when i went and checked out some videos of, of you fronting the smithereens what i loved about it you know a lot of, of, of bands when someone passes or they want to re replace their singer they're going to get the, the, the sound alike or the look-alike. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you don't sound like Pat. You bring your own thing to the table. And, and it works with, with the, uh, the songs that Pat did. It, it works really well, and it, it's really cool that, uh, that, you, that you were able to do that. Uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like Pat, but, uh, you know, I, I can certainly sing, you know, these tunes really well. And, you know, I, having been a, a lifelong fan of the Smithereens and having covered a number of their songs over the years, I already sort of had Pat's cadence down and mm -hmm. his delivery and, you know, the way he writes lyrics is something that, you know, has had some influence on me. And, uh, you know, so it's just a, it was just a great fit and uh, it's it's super fun to be a part of it. And you know what's all one one thing that's so awesome about it being in the Smithereens is that there's this amazing body of work and these really fun, energetic shows. And I get to do all of that, and I don't have to carry any of the baggage 
You know, None of the weight. You, you, you know as well as anyone, you know, you can't be in a band without there being tons of conflict and, you know, baggage <laughs> to carry around. And these guys have been together for 40 years. And, uh, you know, I get to step into this awesome, fun, uh, energetic rock band. And, you know, there's no baggage. It's so great. It's just about rock it's just about the songs and the shows and yeah you get uh, to enjoy it, the legacy without the bullshit attached right right it's it's really it's really feels good so um you know i'm very excited uh, to announce that you know i've i've been doing these live stream concerts out in my front yard i did one of those with the smithereens you can find that on the jim blossoms official youtube page but that's what i saw uh, and that was cool <laughs> yeah so i'm super excited on halloween coming up at the end of october saturday the 31st on halloween i'm going to be performing in my front yard with the smithereens and marshall crenshaw that's so great. super psyched that Marshall is going to be there too. So Marshall is, uh, my plan is to have Marshall do a solo set, you know, cause I want to hear, uh, you know, someday, some way. And whenever you're on oh, my yeah. mind and all my, all my favorite Marshall songs, and then Marshall and I, we can do till I hear it from you together. And, you know, anytime Marshall's near us, if we're, if we've got a show in New York and Marshall's nearby, he'll come to the show and he'll jump up and play with us on Till I Hear From You. So that's great. I know he already knows the song. And uh, so Marshall and I are going to perform that together on Halloween. And then the Smithereens are going to take this, the, the stage, as it were. And uh, Marshall and I are going to split up the duties on that. So uh, it's, it's going to be a really cool cool day and you know halloween has always been my favorite holiday and i, I make a big deal out of it typically um well speaking of speaking of so, halloween you, you have something else you'd like to talk about halloween oh yeah that's right uh, my a, a good friend of mine his name is andy heron he's a, in a couple of great bands um uh and he's a he's got a radio show in nashville on sunday nights and uh andy's been a friend of mine for a long time he called me about uh, five weeks ago, and he said, "Hey, dude, I'm thinking about recording a, a cover version of the Ramones' Pet Cemetery, uh, you know, for as like a Halloween project." And I'm like, "I'm in, yeah, absolutely." So we cut this really cool version. It's a little bit more metallic than it is punk, and so we we recorded this kick-ass version of Pet Cemetery, and we're going to be making a music video for it. And so I'm I'm in the process right now of like doing makeup tests and lighting tests and we're gonna do the video in the in like the corner of my storage room where it's just like these gray uh cement walls with all these rust stains and you know i'm gonna make it look like blair witch project or something you know uh gonna gonna shoot a, a spooky halloween video um gonna be uh, having that out sometime before halloween i don't want to be buried in a pet You'll find all this stuff, the pop and wheelies, smithereens, all these things uh, you'll be able to find on the Jim Blossoms official YouTube channel.
So. Awesome. You, you, you're a busy man. And uh, I want to uh, let our listeners know right now, so this is a first on Krista Makes a Podcast, and this is really special and really cool that you suggested uh, doing this. And it's, it's awesome. Uh, Robin uh, has offered to uh, play uh, Till I Hear It From You live right here, acoustic, live without a net. And uh, I, I would uh, take it away. All right, here we go. I didn't ask, they shouldn't have told me At first I laughed, but now It's sinking in fast, whatever they've sold me Well baby, I don't want to take advice from fools I'll just figure everything is cool Till I hear it from you It gets hard, the memories faded Who gets what they say? It's likely they're just jealous and jaded Well maybe I don't want to take advice from fools I just figure everything is cool Till I hear it from you Since I hear it from you I can't let it get me off Or break up my train of thought Far as I know nothing's wrong Till I hear it from you about not living without it I'm outside looking in till talking about not stepping around it maybe I don't want to take advice from fools I just figure everything is cool till I hear it from you 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 Oh no Till I hear it from you Take advice from fools I figure everything is cool I won't take advice from fools I figure everything Till I hear it from you
There you have it. A first on Krista Makes a Podcast, Till I Hear It From You. Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. Robin, thank you. Ugh. <laughs> it was awesome. Thank you so much for for doing that. Uh, uh, I don't. I'm kind of uh, at a loss for words. That was really, really kind of you to share that. Thank you. It's it's been my pleasure, Chris. It's nice hanging out with you, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to glad to talk. Uh, you know, glad to hang out with other cool musicians. And honestly, uh, I haven't got a whole hell of a lot else to do these days. So uh, it's it's uh, it's good for me. It's cathartic, and uh, you know. Just glad to meet you, and uh, hopefully someday uh, in person we'll get a chance. Sounds good, and uh, make sure to check out everything that Robin has going on. Uh, I can't wait for the pop and wheelies, and uh, we will see you next time, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. Take it easy, Chris. Rock away. Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with and performance by Robin Wilson. But don't go anywhere. We got lots more, including our band you might not know and our rap segment after a few words from our sponsors. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is the reggae ska band Fubar from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On lead guitar and vocals, we got Dave Cochran. On rhythm guitar and vocals, Jake Hirsch. On the bass, Matt Scott. On the drums, Jordan Brown. On tenor sax, Anthony Samelli. On alto sax, Sam Witterkowski. And on the trumpet, Harry Miller. Here's a snippet of their song, Hindsight. Wish you could have had a little foresight Everything looks better in the limelight But you know that it will be right The Rap with Chris and Chris Wow, man. That episode was like uh, two worlds colliding for me personally because... Of all the bands out there, I think of Less Than Jake and the Gin Blossoms as being the two big bands that took my band Punchline under their wing. And in fact, we even toured with Less Than Jake and Gin Blossoms both in 2019. So to hear you guys talk to each other was so cool for me. Man, I, I, I got to say, it was really cool for me, too. He was uh, such a personable uh, guy. You told me that. You said he, he's, he's, a, he's a good conversationalist, and uh, what, a, what an interesting person. He's got, got so much going on, uh, amazing songwriter, and I, I truly meant everything I said to him at the top of the episode, that I just was this, uh, this punk kid that uh, kind of had a closed mind. But going back and revisiting these, not just the hits, but the album tracks that, that this band wrote, uh, some incredible songs. Absolutely, man. I got to start right off the bat talking about how cool Robin and the Gin Blossoms are. We know they write great songs, but 
as people. We first met Robin and the Jim Blossoms back in like the early 2000s. Our manager at the time, a guy named Fred Shade, he had worked at their label and serviced their singles to radio. And he introduced us and we just instantly became friends. Then over the years, I could tell you so many cool stories about the way that Robin, this rock star, the dude had quadruple platinum album and like uh, how he treated a young touring band was amazing. When we'd play in Phoenix, he came to the show and brought us pizza. One time we had a day off after a Phoenix show. And the next day he said, Hey, I want to take you guys out on my boat and took us to a place called Canyon Lake, where we saw coyotes running in the mountains around the lake. And we went swimming and he just treated us so well. You know, we were dirty dudes on tour and just (laughs) treated us to like the most special day. Another cool thing. One time it was Valentine's day and I had a, a girlfriend at the time who really liked the song, follow you down. So I had him call her and play that song over the phone to her on Valentine's day. Just the stories about how cool Robin and the gin blossoms have been to punchline are just countless. And that includes in 2019, taking us on the new miserable experience anniversary tour, not only taking us on the tour every night, we were the only other band on the show. We were the only opening band. Robin before our last song would bring us all shots out on stage and do a shot with us on stage, endorsing us to their fans. And not only that, but before that tour had started, we recorded a, an EP of called songs from 94 because once songs are 25 years old, they become what's considered classic rock. So we thought it would be cool in 2019 because 1994 was such a good year for music. So one of the songs we did was Gin Blossoms Found Out About You. And every night at their VIP event uh, before the show started, Robin would have us come out on their gear and play that song with him singing, once again, endorsing us to their fans. So they really went above and beyond making us known to their audience. I I mean, aside from the fact of taking us on tour. So it's just a testament to how great of people Robin and the gin blossoms really are. Yeah, no, I could, I could tell there's no pretentiousness. He's, he's one of the good ones, you know, and I've, I've met, uh, met a number of of artists over the years that, uh, just had uh, this crazy success. They're, they're what you, you mentioned a moment ago, they're rock stars in every sense that are just the most down to earth people. And he was, he was just a pleasure to talk to. And, and as I said, just, you don't realize a band like gin blossoms, uh, when you go back and really look at their catalog, like, I know that song. Yep. I know that song. Yep. I know that song. <laughs> it's just like, it right. just keeps going, you know? And, uh, it's so great that they're, they're still, they're, they're still together. And, and just, I was just stoked on all the, the side, uh, projects he's working on the pop and wheelies cartoon sounds really cool. And the fact that he's singing with Smith smithereens, another, another, what I call a working class band, uh, smithereens just been out there, uh, for 40 years doing their thing. Uh, never became huge superstars, uh, and and it could be argued. I mean, uh, Gin Blossoms—they're they, not like a 
a household face or, or, or name necessarily, but I mean, these guys sold 4 million records. They're such a huge band, but they still retain that working class band uh, ethic to me. Right. Yeah. You might not necessarily know what the guys in the band look like, but you sure as hell know the songs because you've heard them at the grocery store and at the casino. I heard it yesterday. Gym. <laughs> yes. You just called me. You called me yesterday before we recorded this episode. It's like, you won't believe what is on uh, the loudspeaker I, here at the grocery I, store. I, right held the, I guessed it. I, I, held guessed the, it. I, I held the phone up. I'm like, can you hear that? And of course, he, he's like, no, but let me guess. And you, and you, and you, you nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just so cool, man. 25, 30 years later, since these songs were written and released, they're still here. And I say that to my bandmates and friends that these guys have written songs that are going to be here and played on the radio after we are gone. That's how classic these songs are. And, you know, when I told you about Robin and, and how good of a conversationalist he was, I said, he's a rock star, but not in the negative sense of the word, the most positive sense of the word. And I got to tell you a real quick, funny story about him is when we finished that tour in 2019 with them, it was the last night and it was in Chicago and we were in this, you know, we were outside of their bus and it was in an underground thing outside the house of blues in Chicago. And, uh, we were having a few drinks and we were about to take off and, Robin said to, he said to me, this is probably one of the most memorable things that a guy in a band has ever said to me. And I said, man, thank you so much for taking us, us on tour. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And all of us appreciate it and how much we respect you guys. And he's like, he's like, Chris, um, he said, the only difference between your band and ours is that we've sold millions and millions of albums. <laughs> and, and I just, that was the funniest, like I almost fell over laughing. That was the awesomest way. And then he walked away. We got in our van and drove away. And that was the end of the tour. And that was so memorable, man. Yeah, no, he's uh, he, he's the real deal. And, and hey, uh, uh, first here on Krista Makes a Podcast, he played uh, the, the, the song live. And I'm definitely going to ask other artists to do that. I thought that was really cool of him just to volunteer. We didn't even ask. That was Robin's idea. Uh, just, just so cool of, of him to do that. That was a, uh, Krista makes a podcast first. Dude, we're only like six months into this podcast and you already had an artist perform one of the biggest songs of the nineties on your podcast. So pretty uh, cool. I think, yeah. I think we're doing all right. Um, Hey, a couple other things I wanted to touch on as far as from like a songwriting perspective from that episode that I thought were really cool. Um, he brought up the fact that Jesse Valenzuela, guitarist and, and, and songwriter in Jim Blossom, such a cool dude, by the way. Uh, we got to know him better on this last tour. Such like the definition of the word cool, which brings me to my point. Robin brought up that he likes to always use the word cool in his songs. <laughs> yeah. And Robin uh, said for himself, he finds himself always using the word light in his songs. Um, are there any words that you find yourself saying a lot of times in like less than Jake songs or just in general? I know I'm putting you on the spot with that question. Wow. Oh, that's a great question. I'm, I, I know as soon as we stop talking, I'm going to think of probably 30 of them, but nothing. nothing, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for example, like in punchline, for some reason we have so many songs where we mention the cold and winter. I don't know well, why we're okay, always okay. bringing those things Here's up. Here's a couple for you. Um, you know, in, in uh, science, uh, religion, both of those uh, uh, words have been in a lot of less than Jake songs. Right. So th those are, those are two that, that uh, off the bat that come, come, come to mind, science and, and religion. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with those two. There's probably, there's probably, probably more. I'm, I know there's more, but th those two off, yeah. off, off, off the top of my head. 
Yeah, the the thing, the other thing that I thought was really funny, I've thought about this before too, but he brought up the thing about how we're just inclined. I don't know. I don't think less than Jake does this, but I know that punchline does uh, to sing the word baby. Like, why do we do that? There's something ingrained in our head. It must be hearing. I don't know if it's like Motown songs or Beatles songs or what, but you're, or, or if just that word sings well, but I don't know. Maybe I've called significant others baby before, uh, but that's that's the most over overused word. But it's always just feels good to sing that. I'm like, why do why do we do that? Who do I call baby? And who started that is a good question. Well, you know, I don't know. And, and punchline could certainly get away. If, if I heard Steve sing the word baby in a song, I wouldn't think twice about it. But the, you know, there's certain bands. I don't know if Leslie J could get away with that one. But you're right. I mean, it is an easy, uh, and it, and it goes back to to the early. Uh, rock and roll songs that's been been in, well, probably even before rock and roll baby's been in been in uh you know 40s 1940s standards <laughs> or something right <laughs> <laughs> and it, the other funny i thought it was really funny too because i know that less jake and punchline and every other you know punk rock band is probably guilty of this at one point or another was talking about the la la la's and the na na na's oh, yeah. and stuff like that and um yeah as we grow as songwriters and just more experienced. Yeah. You tend to want to put in lyrics to there and not just, uh, default to that. But the fact of the matter is it's always catchy and always easy to sing along to that. And yeah, maybe it could be a bit cheesy or overdone or whatever, but it, it just it just tends to happen, man. Well, and if if the na 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 or the la 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 is catchy enough, you can go up to a crowd and play a new song they've never heard, and maybe preface it with, "Hey, when the la 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 part comes, I want you to sing it." And if if it's catchy enough and good enough by the second chorus, they're going to know it. So you kind of have a built in uh, built in new song they already know. Dude, yeah, I mean, there's this song uh, on the last Punchline album, Lion, uh, that there's just a part that just la, 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 la. And it is just when we play live shows, even if people don't know the song, you see the, you, you see a reaction to that. And, uh, I think we did that almost, I like to think we did it tongue in cheek <laughs> that the fact that we're just being so, uh, in your face about that's what that part is. Um, almost the lyrics almost lead up to it, like saying like, Oh, this is going to happen at this part. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's crazy how many songs uh, over the course of time have done that. And, you know, it's funny to hear Robin talk about that. And you know what else is crazy, Chris? What? The insane response we got this past week from the Mark Hoppus episode. It's been wildfire. It's been awesome. Dude, I got tagged in the Kerrang article. A friend of mine tagged me in that. And I was like, whoa. And I texted you that. And then someone else posted a comment that Billboard and uh, what else? iHeartRadio, Rock Sound, uh, NME, everybody <laughs> wrote articles about the episode. I couldn't believe it. And the thing that was really surprising to me was... It was the fact that Mark talked about how he was trying to play J.A.R. by Green Day and was messing up. And that's how he wrote the original intro riff 
to what's my age again. That piece of info, I guess Mark had never talked about that before. And that was the big deal. I didn't even realize that when we recorded the episode, I hadn't realized that he hadn't really talked about that before. <laughs> and, and I thought that was just another little cool piece of the episode, but that was like the headline of all these. And I thought that was really cool that all those articles also included a link to the podcast. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting that that soundbite itself went viral like it did just that one thing. Cause we talked about so, so many cool things during the episode. And uh, they they singled in on that one, which is which is pretty cool, right? And that exposed us to a lot more people. I noticed by the plays of that episode. Not that a Mark Hoppus episode wouldn't have a lot of plays anyway, but I think there are a lot more listeners tuning in this week. So to anyone who's new who hasn't listened before, hello. We're Chris and Chris. It's really nice to meet you. And for everyone who's been listening for the past 21 episodes, uh, it's really cool that you can be along uh, for the ride with us, the podcast ride, man. It's, yeah, it's, a, if, it's a ride like no other. <laughs> and if you uh, if you haven't already, please join the Chris to Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive. We, we have a good time in there. And uh, I want to thank everybody uh, that supported this month's charity. Uh, we here at Chris to Makes a Podcast uh, do a charity once a month. And this month's charity is Gilda's Club of Middle Tennessee, and they are a wonderful organization that helps people impacted by cancer. So if you could please donate a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you have, we'd really appreciate it uh, to give back to this wonderful organization. Yep. There's less than a week left in the month uh, before you move on to a different charity. So if you can, you know, even like Chris said, even a buck or two or five or 10 or 20 or whatever you can give uh, will be greatly appreciated. Yes, together we can make a difference. Thank you so much. And uh, I also want to talk about uh, the book that is now for pre-order, Chris. Uh, ChrisToMakesABook.com is where you can go and pre-order Blast from the Past, my first ever book. It's a photographic journey of uh, all my years with Less Than Jake. Uh, the book uh, is available at ChrisToMakesABook.com through Smart Punk Records. We got t-shirts. There's a seven inch with a couple songs. There's a calendar, a poster, all kinds of other stuff. And uh, thank you. Chris for helping me put it together. The book is amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I helped you with some editing. With some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of grammar police. We had a lot of uh, grammar arguments, I feel like, along the way, <laughs> some disagreements. Uh, but it is an awesome book. It's an awesome journey. Whether you're a Lesson Jake fan or you're just a fan of music in general or just ridiculous stories. If you're a fan of ridiculous stories, you're going to enjoy this book and it makes for a perfect gift for someone else or a way to treat yourself. That was very, very nice of you to say, Chris. And yes, you really did help me. And I, and we, we had, we, we did have put some long nights in on the, uh, on the grammar train there, but it, uh, it was well worth it. I also want to give a shout out to uh, less than Jake. Our new record silver linings will be out December 11th, 2020. And uh, you can pre-order that now uh, over at pure noise records. And we're very proud of the album and can't wait for you to hear it. It's an awesome album. I've only heard five songs now, but I, I don't even know if I need to hear anymore. <laughs> if those five songs were the album, I'd be like, this album rules, and I'm looking for it. How many, how many songs are there total? There are, uh, now I'm on the spot, 12? 12 songs. 12. Yeah. Nice. Seven more. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear these other seven, man. <laughs> I had to think about it, but... Uh... All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Once again, I want to thank this week's guest, Robin Wilson, for being such a gentleman and uh, being the first person to play on the show, Chris. That was awesome. That was awesome, man. I hope we have many more of those to come. Robin was a trailblazer on Chris to Makes a Podcast. All right, everybody. Until next week, we'll see you then.
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.